0: The DCF Experience. Hello and welcome to the Design Podcast brought to you by the DCF Experience. My name is David Fleming and we're very lucky today to have Simon Richards on the show. How are you, Simon? I'm pretty good, actually. I'm crouching in a cupboard trying to find somewhere quiet to talk to you, but it's OK. <laughs> the glamorous life of podcasting.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, look, I mean, I'm, I'm very glad that you, you agreed to be on, um, on the show. I'm very excited to, to get your thoughts and, and, and for our listeners to find out more about you and, and the industry that you work in. And you know, obviously I've known you for a little while now and, and consider you to be you know, an expert in your, in your field. So I'm sure there are a lot of people who listen to the show that will find your views and your knowledge and your experience interesting. Um, you know, just as a sort of a, as a kickoff to give everybody a little bit of um, context. I, I know that you started your life in TV and radio um, as an award-winning producer before obviously getting involved with the the internet boom um, I know you've made some moves across being a creative director an innovation director worked in a number of big agencies before I think you sold your agency to the WPB, WPP group and That's then right. I know I know that you mentioned that that you're you've been uh enjoying the office politics um free world of strategy and UX consulting which I do find I, I find quite funny so um I'd like to just, I guess, sort of frame the, the show around your, a bit about your background, because I always find that valuable to give to our listeners. I'd, the, the main chunk I want to talk a little talk about the, the industry that you're in and, and really get your view on, on what's going on. And then I know that, you know, from, from what we've talked about already, you're, you're interested to, to help others with, through sort of coaching and mentoring. So it'd be really good to get your thoughts on, on what you think others can do in the industry, how they can get ahead and, and the sort of views around um, the design space at the moment. So why don't we start I guess, somewhere near the beginning? You can go back as, as, as far as you like, if, it, if you want. Um, tell us how you got into design. I'd love to hear a bit about the, the TV and the radio as well.
1: Well, TV and radio is um, obviously very well established and um, has its own sets of rules and paradigms and all the rest of it. I think the reason the reason I got into the internet was um, in, and digital stuff in general was quite interesting because at the time I was making this radio show for the BBC World Service called A Week on the Web okay. with um, all these guest stars in it, um, mm-hmm. like uh, Nicholas Negroponte and all these sort of big names. Okay, and um, and and I sat there. My girlfriend at the time was a DJ on Radio One, and I was sat there thinking. So over the last four weeks, I've made this show that's going to go out on the radio. It's going to take you know like about an hour, two half-hour segments are going to go out, and it's going to sort of disappear into the middle of nowhere. And she's going to spend that same time making um, a record for the Ministry's sound, and it's going to have a, a a life of about two years. And there's this fledgling thing over here called the Internet, which wasn't particularly good at the time. Yes. So that was it. I just packed it in my job, spent about literally two seconds thinking about it and
0: uh-huh.
1: got into it from there. But I think the, the biggest shock about the whole thing was you start off thinking of the um, utopistic angles of it all, that it is this kind of free space where everyone can do everything. And then you very quickly realize that it's just mainly just yet another marketing and commerce channel um, governed and scrapped over in the same way by exactly the same people who fight over everything
0: else. Hmm. Interesting. When was the Ministry of Sound girlfriend time? Because I, I, I'm not was sure. was ages we... ago. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm old as well. So my time in the music business was around sort of the mid 90s, so 90. Two, one E, all the way through to sort of 2005 six seven um did quite a lot of work for ministry of sound worked with head candy launched the house sexy brand in the uk doing big promotions with bobby and steve mark doyle all those guys dj'd for oh, well over 10 years i did so it's probably a bit of a crossover then um
1: maybe i used to like head candy so this would have been around um 2000
0: to 2004 yeah that's what time yeah, that was exactly the time that I, that I was in it. So, um, so completely
1: bro- irrelevant, utterly yeah. irrelevant for anyone new getting into digital design these days because you know, they've grown up with it being a, a world-class, um, very important medium. But for many, many years, listeners, the internet was basically a bit of a joke and it was something that was tagged on by advertising agencies as, oh, yeah, and we'll also do the website, but we don't really care about it.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. And was that... How did that relate to design at the time? So, what, what, what did well, you when you moved from one to the other? What were you what were you moving into? What, what sort of design were you doing? Or well, you- at the time, design. Well, I was I was more a proponent of
1: common sense than than design, <laughs> because I think um, if anyone's interested in UX design or experience design or customer experience or whatever service design or whatever title it's got these days. The, the most important thing is just to have a bit of common sense and to just think about what people actually want just from a, a logic point of view. So at the time, I think I was trying to design things that were just very sensible and easy to use. And this was probably before the idea of a UX industry had even, even come into existence. Yeah. And um, what I remember at the time was that design was really, really dominated by trying to get your files as small as possible. So if anybody thinks about Craig's List, if anyone's seen that and just its incarnation of just blue text on, on the screen, just HTML, that's, that was kind of the ideal design you know, a few years ago. But now we've all got broadband and everything. Obviously, the rules have, have changed. And you've got to imagine that in those days, there would have been no such thing as streaming video, for example. No. So I would imagine if you were to look at design as an industry, particularly digital design, it's probably changed more quickly and more rapidly than pretty much any other form of, of the creative industries. It started off being completely dominated by people who had things like um, direct mail agencies or who thought they could do print and, and everybody just tried to shovel their ideas from their own pretty archaic notion of design into this new medium of digital. Yeah, And it's only relatively recently that digital design is taken the lead and that the ideas around digital design have become something that other mediums follow always used to be the internet for years is always just not even playing catch up just it was just chucked in as a as a dried up old bone for the for the the client's pet dog to chew on for a while and that was it but these days it's obviously the most important channel there is
0: yeah and that's a very interesting one because i i mean i follow follow a lot of guys on on the internet, people like Gary Vaynerchuk, who runs VaynerMedia, Neil Patel, who's got his own digital agency in America, uh, Jay Shetty, a lot of these other guys, and they've been talking about, you know, how much money is spent now on still traditional TV, radio advertising. You know, up to a hundred billion dollars a year, every year, by the major brands. That's not on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Pin whatever it may be. Which is why the price of acquisition now for a marketing strategy on those platforms versus TV and radio is still still undervalued. But, but when that moves, which it probably inevitably will do as the generations go on and we become more, even more digitally savvy, you know, that's a huge amount of money that's going to move from one stream to another. And all of that really, really relates to where people consume content now. I think there's some frightening average stats about how long people are on devices each day you know, on the basis that people sleep for eight, 10 hours a day, they're at work for eight, 10 hours a day, they've got a bit of time in the middle, but they're online for three, four, five hours of those days, you know, you know, consuming, they're not on the TV for that long, you know, and you could never be on TV for that long, but they're still consuming now on a device for that long. So, so the audience is there. It's just now that, you know, that's the, like you said, the most important channel to, to get, get to people uh, for sure. Um, and that's all I follow at the moment, you know, to try to see where the markets are going in order to fi- have them to be where the market needs to be when clients are hiring you know, from my side. Um, well, I, I think
1: it's I think it's just really sad that people spend so much time staring at a screen.
0: Oh, I, know that, I think, yeah.
1: You know, a few years ago, my nephews were, were just texting each other across the same yeah. room and I thought, what are you playing at? But no. the, the the thing is that it is it is here. It is the future. I was in um, Shanghai a few months ago, and literally everybody is just um, in pretty much every environment you can imagine was just sitting there staring at their phone. Yeah. And to me, in my perhaps jaded state, my biggest fear in life is to be in a relationship, you know, with, with my missus, and to suddenly find that we've got nothing to say and we're just staring at our phones in a restaurant. That is just to me that's hell on earth. Know. But the, the, main, you know, the main thing is that the, the digital brand, so to speak, um, is one of the other huge areas of design that has changed over the years. Where the brand used to be, and probably still is for a lot of bald-headed men with colourful glasses and polo necks and funny hats, it is the, the, it's the font, um, it's the, it's the colour of the logo, and it's you know the, the sort of tone of the imagery or something like that. Whereas the digital brand, the actual real brand, the actually valuable one is the nature of the relationship between the client and the consumer and that they're both sort of stakeholders in a common experience. So it's not something you're not, it's not like an advert where you're basically trying to interrupt somebody in the middle of something that they're they're doing. So somebody's watching a TV show on, I don't know, how to grow poppies in Sri Lanka. You know, and they suddenly get an advert for buying a Volvo that's like, yeah. Well, why on earth are you yeah. jamming your Volvo message into my thing? <laughs> I want to learn about poppies. Yes, yeah, very true. Yeah, and that was that that it's was traditional advertising, good. right? Yeah. It's not because Volvo's are good for carrying opium seeds around him. But yeah. you know, it's just it's just mad and that is the traditional design mindset as well, is to try and sort of force your ideas about something into the middle of something else that somebody's doing, whereas modern design is all about trying to provide something of value inside the experience that the person wants in the first place, or ideally to enable that experience. So obviously somebody like uh, Amazon enables the experience which everybody wants, which is um, stuff that arrives the next day. So that, that's what they want. But, you know, the trickier thing is for the likes of Pepsi Cola or someone like that to provide a sort of meaningful experience inside something that people are interested in. So in the, in the 90s and the 2000s, that resulted in millions of pounds being spent um, sponsoring the, the next Snoop Doggy Dog concert or something like that. So brands have always realized that they've got to do something meaningful and relevant. But interestingly, it's taken a very long time for designers to catch up with that. To actually provide a sort of design interface that fits in with what people think and what they want they've always just thought that they in their little room at the top of the tower who with the man with the colorful glasses is obsessed with fonts that's the sort of rule book that they should follow for how they design yeah. not really understanding what people do how they live their lives what they want what language they use and try and create something meaningful related to that
0: yeah very true. And what about you in terms of the influences you may have had when you were younger, you know, related to design? And I'm sure this will have evolved over time, but how has it changed over time?
1: Well, primarily it was magic mushrooms. Now it's
0: tequila. No, it was, um, I think, um, you know, in the early
1: days, let's think, you know, think about an individual's career path and I think um, anybody who's worked in an in an agency for a while or worked in marketing for a while. Um, they may or may not go through the same kind of waves of personal development, which is you start off not knowing what's going on. Then you're sort of super enthusiastic and trying to do your very best and, and believing that all brands, messages and everything are like really crucial to, to your, your customers lives. And then you start to realise after that that not everybody is interested in your brand and that you you need to just be much more focused on what people really want and fit into the way they think and do things as opposed to what your brand manager wants to do or how they thinks how they think things should be. So if you think about the the UX, I mentioned that earlier as being about common sense. Well, the big thing about UX, the one kind of common sense thing is that organizations tend to create a, for example, an e-commerce strategy based around the way they organize themselves as a, as a company. So they put they put their wares out in front of people based around the way they structure their database, for example, of products. But that isn't necessarily the way the cons- customer thinks about it at all. Customers no, might I think it's... about their products in an entirely different way. Yeah. So Men is the time that you can go to a world famous brand even now have a look at their website and think what the hell is that all about <laughs> actually um, I actually did uh, like a a very um, very quick piece of work with a, um, um, a massive TV company a couple of weeks ago because I actually got hold of them actually contacted them um, um, and said look when you go and look at your television page you've got all these model numbers and things and technologies and things but I went there with a simple question of like, "What's your best TV?" and and you didn't answer it anywhere in the whole website. So I just and then ended up getting this um, message back from the, the head guy in China. Um, uh, I was hoping he was going to give me a free TV. <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs>
0: didn't. But, oh,
1: thank you so much for your ideas. Next time you look at the website, it'll be different.
0: Yeah. So I
1: thought great, but that's like a classic example. You know, there are so many huge companies where. They What they think of is we've got a list of microwave ovens that we want to sell. Therefore, we create a page full of microwave ovens with the model numbers un, under, underneath. But the customer cannot figure it out because no. they don't care about the way that... They, they couldn't give a monkey's about the way that company organizes its microwave ovens. Yeah, it's what right. they want to know is, is it going to fit into this hole in the wall? Does it have a steaming function? You know, things like that. And ideally, they want to compare it to another brand.
0: But of course, no brand would ever do that. Yes, uh, no, I know. it. But it's that, just, would, that would be the experience, right? That would be yeah, the And
1: to me, that's part of design. In the old days, design was making sure you had those right spectacles with the colors on. It was making sure that you had the right sort of Mac. It was making sure that you um, had the right sort of beard and knew about fonts and could talk in a sneering manner about um, lowercase um, sans serif versus um, serif fonts and things like that. But it's not anymore. Design is as much about the structure of things and the way they're organized and making sure that fits in with what people want as it is what color box you put it in
0: on the screen. Yeah, very true. Well, I'd I'd like to sort of stay on the, the industry side of things and then get your view on how you think sort of ux ui has evolved over time and where do you think it fits now into the the sort of wider design sphere if you like yeah
1: well um well let's start with that that point then because i think that's one of the most pertinent points about the entire marketing industry full stop which is that things have changed a lot and they do change a lot and I could tell you a number of relatively experienced UX professionals who thought that they were going to be able to work years ago, because they thought that the the, the um, content management systems of this world, the Adobe's of this world, the Microsoft's as well, people like that, people who advertise on the tube, um, things would have just created the ultimate kind of easy technical way of putting a site, a website together, and that would be that. You know, there's no like sort of. Isn't that WordPress? Room, yeah, like WordPress. There's no like room in the market for people to actually think about how things should be done. All the rules would be set. But, um, but they're not, and all the rules are still there to be set. But there are definite shifts. There are tsunamis of change that have occurred in the industry over the last couple of years and which are occurring now. One of those is related to um, people changing the title of what the job they want to be done is and it's that's all a bit vexatious and confusing but essentially what it boils down to is there's you need to do more than one thing like in the in the olden days people used to do one thing they used to be a graphic designer yes. um, that meant poring over a color for literally days and yeah. caring about a color for days but now, they're a UI designer, and that means they have to have an understanding of the way interfaces are structured, what typical items people expect to see on an interface, what that shape means. Does that mean there's going to be a primal, ape-like response in somebody's mind that that's something they prod with their finger? Or is it something they should just leave alone and look for something else to prod on the screen? So there's no such thing anymore as, as pure specialists. And with UX and UI and things like that, they are, like it all lump it, they're gradually blurring together. A lot of modern jobs these days are for UX and UI. So what that means is somebody's got to have an understanding of UX and then they've also got to be able to make it look quite nice on the screen. Yes. Now that isn't so difficult because, as I mentioned earlier, the Adobe's and WordPresses of this world do have rules. And Google material design is the one that everyone's currently fastening onto as being the rules to use for how things should look. But you have to be somebody who's good at more than one thing. The other, one of the other kind of major areas of growth over the last couple of years that's kind of somehow become part of UX, I'm not quite sure why, is research. Now, I, I love doing research because I used to be a journalist and I enjoy talking to people and um, you know, and uh, leading the jury, so to speak. Yes. So um, that's like a, a really important part is the new world of UX is to actually do research. And what that means is being able to talk to people. It's really in kind of philosophical terms, it means being more inclusive and doing UX on UX. So in other words, it's not you with your ideas, Trying to say my ideas are the right ones. It's yes. you saying, "Here are my ideas, and here are customers who agree or disagree with me." In order to find insights, in order to make it better.
0: Excellent. And of course,
1: yes. the other reason the other reason clients want that is because they can justify their budgets. If you are if you're the head of customer experience for Mercedes, it's very hard for you to say, "Oh, um, whoever." Um, Spectacles muck UX face has come up with this wireframe, therefore, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. But if Spectacles comes along with a wireframe and says, and and here's some some research that we've done asking what people want in the first place, and 250 people said they want this, and that means this, and that means this, and, and here's how we've tested it and everything else, yeah, then it's much, much easier for that risk-averse person at Mercedes to have a bit of faith in spending the money mm-hmm. and going ahead with the project.
0: Yeah, no, and i just, that's just more on that less nice
1: Government Data Services in a nutshell, by the way. Government Data Services is obsessed with researching and testing everything, like everything. That's, that's how the government thinks about it, and that's not a bad lesson to learn from because sometimes they get things right.
0: Yeah and I was just I was going to say what I'm seeing is an e- is an even further extension of that where clients are now moving from traditional qualitative based research to quantitative based research because they want either both or they want someone who can work really really closely with data you know either data that they've consumed through insights and or that's been provided to them but also that so yeah. then take that and turn it into 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 business decisions if you like or work with the user team the experience team to then turn it into a design that means that when people experience it it gets the company the result that they want therefore margining you know reducing their margin for error in terms of investment versus reward you know roi as it
1: yeah and i see that's one of that is that is actually one of the other two kind of main you, you picked up on probably the most important thing for the way agencies operate and the other kind of most important thing for UX type people is a broadening of acceptance of what ux touch points are so um maybe as as little as three years ago or two years ago if you went into any agency in central london thinking oh this is a quite well-paying c- contractor job there would have been things like discovery phase define phase in a project and they would have been full of lots of arrows and boxes and personas and and basically very structured and fragmented pieces of output that don't really have a huge amount of value. Yeah. They have some very limited value but you don't really need to spend a week coming up with personas and if anyone's not sure what a persona is it's basically a, a, an, a picture of somebody um, who has to be sort of socially inclusive with a big smile on their face and a fake name who has defined. some sort of romanticized relationship yeah. with, with the brand that you're looking at. Whereas what's happening now more and more is, is that the notion of customer experience is actually kind of kicking on a lot more and people realize that uh, a sale doesn't begin and end with somebody being on a website it starts before that, and the whole kind of sales funnel and all the different touch points yeah. should actually be in, in the same strategy. Getting back to what you were saying about data and analytics, that is the other big thing. If you, if you want to do well in this industry, if you can say to people that you understand data engineering and you can understand mm-hmm. what data is and how it works, yeah. And um, with a sort of, you know, nod to AI and deep learning and things like that, then that's what people are going to want next. So like right now, everyone, the the, the, the UX, the lonely UX professional has to either be a UX and UI person or they've got to be a, a researcher and UX person unless they are inside a massive agency and they're basically quite fortunate the next thing they're going to have to be three or four years from now is they're going to have to have some sort of credentials in ai deep learning analytics and and data because if you think about it it squares the circle it's like you've researched something you've talked to people and then you've got all the the analytics and all the data which you've been able to interpret to to help draw out or prove an insight and you've got the sort of UXE customer experience design ideas to then help provide a solution. And that's that's what people want. That's what clients want. It's not what agencies want so much, but it's what clients want. Clients want somebody you can say, here's the problem, here's how I've proved it, and now here's how we're going to set it right, and here's a bit of proof to show that we're on the right course for for fixing it agencies don't want that so much because they want to charge um, huge amounts of money for doing as little work as possible and they want to sit in the middle of a funnel where they get other people to do all the work pay them as little as possible and charge the client as much the other end so it helps their cause and their shareholders if they've got lots of small kind of discrete tasks going on like here's somebody doing personas here's somebody Doing a wireframe. Here's somebody doing an analytics review. Here's somebody doing this. Here's somebody doing that. Because they they want to retain the power. They want to feel that they are the expert. They want to feel they've got the intellectual superiority in any argument with the client. They want to feel that they've got the secrets that the client needs to know. And they, more importantly, anything else, um, all consultancies will tell you if they're being honest that they want to frighten the bejesus out of the client into working with them and, and telling them how to do things. But, you know, that's, that's all going away because data is more transparent, AI and things like that will take a lot of the decision-making process away from the human. Design is becoming more commoditized because of the sort of improved versions of WordPress and things like that. So the real value of the UX person and this sort of thing, design in general, is being able to pull all those different influences together into a simple new idea
0: that makes sense. Mm. Interesting. One thing I've noticed more recently, I suppose, over the last few years, is who's in this space. And what I mean by that is, and this leads me on nicely to, to, to a subject that I know that we were going to talk about, but businesses like Accenture with inter- interactive and specifically Fjord, you know, Deloitte building digital labs, IBM X with a digital lab, uh, PwC building digital labs, building analytical labs, building hubs where they can basically design, test, well, test, design, repeat, test, design, all the ideas that they're potentially selling to their customers. But but the key bit for me, and the reason why I was I wanted to ask you is that they're then almost not letting any of the work come out to the external market because you know, a lot of these big businesses are in nearly all of the companies around the world from their big four tax days, audit days. They do a lot of work with them on strategy. So they're at the front end of the spear in terms of everything that the big industries are doing. And now they're saying, right, well, you don't need to go to any of the big four communications agencies in order to do your marketing and branding and PR and comms. You can just stick with us and we'll, you know, we'll, te- you know, research, design, test and then, you know, give it- give you something back without you even, you know, one stop shop you know, effectively becoming like a, you know, an Amazon of, of, of every industry, because you know companies will never need to go anywhere else. So uh, have you seen much? Have you had instances where you've had competition from those businesses? Or have you seen that evolution over time? What's your view from, you know, being a designer and on your side of the fence? Because I only know it from what I've seen, you know, and how they've evolved very quickly. But I'd love to hear what, you know, what you've seen from your side. And do you think they would compete then or how they compete with agencies? Well, there is
1: another fence to be taken into account, which is who's the guy in the suit at the front end doing the selling and who are the people actually doing the work? So to your notion that the big consultancies are trying to basically take over everything. Yeah, of course they are. And uh, 10 years ago, the big advertising agencies were trying to take over everything. 15 years ago, the advertising agencies were slowly waking up to it and the PR agencies trying to take over um, and the direct mail agencies were trying to take over all the digital stuff. Everybody saw it as a growing market and everybody wanted to go for a piece of the pie and at the same time digital specialists came up in the market and they started grubbing up from the bottom doing the tactical work and trying to get the strategic relationship with the client. They they were trying to climb up from the bottom but the reality is that um, it has taken a while but those big consultancies now see the value in it, in their, in their numbers, in their P&L. So they've decided they want it. And they've also decided that they're getting a bit under threat, because a lot of these digital agencies are actually pretty good. <coughs> Excuse me, slight cough. I think it's all this, this computer stuff around me. But um, So this is, you know, this is the perennial battle. This, this is always going on. Everyone's always trying to control the work. What I meant by another fence is, yes, you can have someone in a shiny suit and a shiny smile selling something in, and, and, and they've all got different dreams, right? The, the consultancy says, we do everything. We look after your strategy. We do your accounting. We can do this too. Um, the digital pure play specialist says, we're experts in digital, and we're um, 20% of the price of the, the big consultancy. The advertising agency says, "Oh, we know your brand better than anyone else, and we, we can come up with better messages and and than every everybody else. We should have it." Now, in the old days, all of those people all just used to subcontract it to the digital specialist anyway. But now the digital specialist is getting too big for their boots, and they all think they can do it themselves, which is exactly what you said. So I've I've worked with two of those that you mentioned in okay. their digital areas, um, and. Uh, this is where I get to this point about the other side of the fence which is who's doing the work. Now in both of the places I went to the work was being done by graduates. So what would happen is there's a massive graduate training program and they would sort of get shoveled into the, the digital uh, lab of Consulting Global Incorporated. Now no experience, uh, variable skill set, enormous budgets, huge brands. And I've, I've had, in particular, one experience which kind of, to me, summed it up quite a lot, which was um, the development of a new bank, um, which was being run by one of the world's biggest consulting firms, but, you know, their sort of digital lab offshoot. Yeah. Now the guy, the guy running the the, the main chunk. <coughs> sorry about that. Of the the UX-y bit was an alcoholic, who me and this friend of mine, um, Stu, realised a couple of about a year later that we'd interviewed him about five years before, and realised that he was a cokehead as well. Um, and basically, he was never there. He 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 skipped meetings. He he, he was just an absolute nightmare the ux was absolutely catastrophically amateur there was one other really nice guy an experienced guy but he, he didn't really do any work literally okay and um and i remember sitting down with the guy running the the entire thing the program delivery thing and saying so what do you think about the ux on the on on this uh multi-million pound project we're working on expecting him to list its limitations but he said oh it's it's going quite well isn't it (laughs) and I thought well you know what it isn't but then I looked at him and thought well he just doesn't know any better so so on the and it's fair enough from his point of view but he he just didn't know he didn't realize it wasn't normal to for sort of creative people to skip meetings and have hangovers and things he thought that was okay now, if you're on a medium-sized digital specialist, you'd have been sacked in a week. So it depends, you know, the guy at the front is probably a great salesman, but for a lot of these large organizations, they, they, some of them I'm sure are fantastic, but I'm also sure some of them have another learning curve to go through. Right now, before they are as competent as the digital specialists.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And I, I think that that moves me on nicely to sort of looking at where you know twenty nineteen and then beyond. You know, as far as you can, you could possibly think really. But what do you think clients or specifically brands need to do in order to continue to attract customers using design? How do you? Where do you think we are now with that? And then how do you think that's going to evolve in the well, future?
1: I think um it's gonna go it's gonna go backwards. And I mean in that in the, the most positive way. <coughs> I'm really sorry if this is gonna cause you an edit. I don't know, we've got to go and find a bit of water somewhere. That's all right. I don't know actually. Um, no, it's fine. I think there's a kitchen here. I don't know, do you edit stuff? I do. I'm, 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 I'm trying to cut this down. This will just be like one, one edit and maybe one.
0: No, I don't edit my, I don't podcast. edit my podcast. They all, they all stay verbatim. It's just, really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, yes. people are going to look at the thrilling sound of me trying to get a glass of water.
0: But it's, um, it's, it's a funny sorry. one, actually, if we just all go off topic for a minute, but, but I found that, you know, before I started my podcast, I probably listened to a hundred. Some of them I found interesting. Some of them I didn't. Some had structure. Some didn't. The feedback is a lot of the feedback that I've got is that people are interested in the, the the host and then the guest and then the reality of of what they're talking about and then the environment that they're in. So yes, it would be lovely to say that we're in a big studio and I've invited you in and we've got soundproof rooms and you know it's you know it's a, it's the number one podcast on on iTunes, but but you know that's not it that's isn't not, no that's not the reality right um so i think that there's a lot of as for me it's more about the individuals who i'm having the podcast with yourself and then and then your view and my view on on the subject that we're discussing and so so a little bit of reality i don't think i think goes a long way if i'm honest because they can sound a little bit produced if you, some of them um you know which is which oh, well, you're talking
1: to an ex you're talking to an ex radio producer so you know
0: Yes. I, um,
1: I, uh, I was completely anal about having things being produced. But anyway, so to your point, how do brands stand out? Um, how does yeah. design provide a useful function? Well, it's more limited. There's no doubt. But when I said things going backwards, what I meant by that is I don't think it'll be that long before people realise that material design is actually pretty crap. And that um, if you show a load of flat things on a screen with relatively limited color palette, people can't really tell it apart as easily as they they can if you did it another way. And there's been some recent research to to prove that point. So I think there is going to be a sort of second wave of of design creativity in the offing, but um, it is going to have to be within the context of um, more limited structures. You know like templates and things like that, which people are basically going to have to stick with yeah but there is no there is no shortcut to a good idea and from the design point of view, there's no shortcut to a very solid identity, even if it 's as simple as one color, but it's what you have to do but um, the, the main weakness of design um, from time immemorial and uh, is still the same, which is um. Don't be one of those people who has thick glasses because they always stare too closely at their Mac screen intently analysing every single thing and thinking that the world is interested in their brand. They're just not. If you, you know What you need to do is to make sure that your brand has a story and it differentiates and it has a clear identity. And ideally, it's not copying somebody else. But the way people will end up loving your brand, the way they do with Apple or something like that, is because of its design identity. So you have to create that in the first place to, to get anywhere.
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that is, and for me, I think that's the fact that information is so readily available now, and it's so instant. It's, the, the future, I think, will change at such a faster pace, than it's changed even in the past because of the company's ability to see what they're doing and find out whether it's working and then make changes to it. Um, I actually went to a really interesting um, marketing society breakfast when I was in Dubai and they had the senior vice president of IBM as a speaker. And and even she, she even she was talking about how they'd introduced agile sprints into their marketing department for two week projects where everybody who was involved with the project in, in the value chain of that marketing promotion or whatever they were doing, didn't matter what medium it went across, but whatever the marketing campaign was, everybody in the, in, the, in the sprint team or the agile team had the ability to stand up and do their relevant bit. And she found that by breaking down the barriers of an organizational structure where the CMO isn't, it has a valuable uh, contribution to any marketing campaign, but it may only be at certain times. And, there, and but, but everybody else has just as valuable input into the process at different times, meant that they were able to empower everybody more to be more creative and then get the re- get the information they needed quicker because they could do a promotion in, in, or campaign in March and they would know whether it's being successful in April. Whereas historically, she'd been with the business for sort of 25 years. You know, you just didn't know that information before. You know, and she even made the joke about Mad Men where, you know, 50% of the advertising spend that we have is, is valuable. We just don't know which half it is. You know, you mentioned it earlier and, and, and it was very, it resonated with me because even a business as big as that is, is evolving into being able to be more nimble, more agile and have a process that means that whatever they're putting out content wise or marketing strategy wise or campaign wise, they can review it. Um, and ultimately, that's all going to have a design element in the future. And, you know, that yeah. is, she, she didn't mention IBM X, but, you know, I did, and I didn't know that IBM has the largest design agency in the world um, internally within their business you know to do all of this work and, and and it just you know for me it was really interesting to hear how even a business as big as that has it was evolving to to move at the speed that's necessary for the for the future of design online
1: well yeah no you're absolutely right but let's not forget that this is all a reaction to the platforms that people do their marketing on so it's because of the technology which enables you to analyze and track things so quickly and easily and it's the fact that you can update something as simple as a PPC link or an ad or a video somewhere in a matter of seconds which you couldn't do before and you can uh, advertise you can say who it's going to in a very granular way in the way that you couldn't do before you know that's the key if that hadn't happened then then you wouldn't be having people trying to do um, sprint planning sessions in advertising agencies no I know yeah they would still just be the same as they always were but it's 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 good that the Leviathan like that has reacted if in perhaps a slightly sort of slightly peculiar manner. But um, because I mean, when you were telling me that story, I was thinking at least some of that has got to be about her and her actually getting visibility on what people are doing. And she probably really enjoyed that. Yep. But you know, um, agile sprint planning was designed in the first place to stop um, coders ripping people off. Like coders would just sit there and do nothing for a couple of weeks and get paid like a grand a day because nobody knew what they were doing.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah.
1: So um, you know, it, it's a way of it was originally developed as a way of keeping track on, on lazy coders.
0: Oh, so I to that. me,
1: it seems a bit a bit of a cop out. To say oh let's transfer that model over to advertising or yes. marketing or whatever any other marketing, function it's a bit it's a bit lame to be honest but you know for such an enormous organization like ibm where it takes it it takes two years to to change the thickness of the paper you put in the, the, the photocopier,
0: that's amazing that they do that you know yeah good for her look i'd like to Sort of change direction a little bit and get into a bit about how you you the the knowledge that you have and how that might be able to help others and and my a lot of the work I do on the on the podcast is is designed to to provide value to people who are either looking to get into the industry or trying to change with the industry or trying to get themselves fit for purpose for the future because you know like like you said earlier it's going to evolve so quickly you're going to need to know what to morph yourself into so. think for me if i look at the design market now i'd be keen to get your sort of words of advice or wisdom that you'd give to designers first of all on whether they you would go permanent or contract you know in terms of work style and work yeah that's a good question knowledge um and and then the sort of best ways to approach that well going permanent or contract is probably the big question for
1: most people yes if you think about it sorry i'm just there's, some, there's definitely something up down here with me coughing away like some sort of baby baby rhino with a cold but um so basically the standard route is for people to go permanent for a couple of years to get their feet under the table to to understand stuff and then to go contract because they think they're going to earn twice as much money yes now that is broadly true particularly in UX and UI and things like that. And I think that's fine. Um, And that's probably what I would recommend, unless you're a careerist. Now, what I mean by that is somebody who wants to be a big shot, who wants to go out and see their friends and say, oh, yeah, I'm director of, I'm global director of creative, um, whatever, at at, at Big ink Agency. Yeah. Now, if you want that, you you can actually sort of hop around the industry quite quickly, doing, you know, like a year, a year and a half, or maybe two years in each job. And you won't make as much money, but you'll have a way more impressive-looking CV, and you will find yourself being the one giving the orders. You'll find yourself being in the executive position. Whereas if you're a contractor you tend to hit a level quite quickly yeah.
0: and stick there. And that's kind yeah. of it. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I relate that to whether you're sort of transactional or whether you're leading, you know, that would be my easiest way to describe it. And, and if, you, if you get to a point where you're always transacting and you're a really good contractor and you like doing the work, the only way to go back to go up is to go permanent so that you, yeah. fit, so then you move when, up when the ladder and come out again.
1: Yeah, exactly. And when you've done that, that's absolutely true. People should, if people have, have glazed over because I've been boring them with my slight monotone, they should rewind that bit <laughs> that you just said, and because that's absolutely the truth. So, you know, the, the way to look at it is probably to do, to, to either make a, full, a full-on full-time commitment and to say, I am going to go perm, I'm going to be quite pushy, I'm going to go for the next job up slightly before people think I should. I'm going to be proactive about putting myself forward for those jobs, and I'm not going to be afraid to move from company to company unless I'm in some vast behemoth ziggurat like IBM. If you are in that sort of organization, you're probably much better off trying to find internal places to move yourself to than you are to leave. There are certain large organizations where they perceive themselves as being quite stuffy and old fashioned, like the BBC used to. Where it seems a positive to leave and then come back because you've somehow got some sort of magic about you if you've been in the independent sector, which is obviously rubbish. But that's Yeah, kind of thing. I've seen that. Yeah. So I would say that if you. The long term game, like the genuinely long term game is really to go permanent and to sort of push yourself up the ladder and to just accept the fact that you're not going to be earning as much money or have as much cash for quite a while as your contracting mates who are crowing about the fact that they're on x hundred pounds a day. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, of course. Now, that's if you care about your career. If you're interested in the subject, if you like design, but you don't care about politics, you don't care about some... Idiot who, you know, being beholden to some, somebody that you think is an idiot. And that does happen a lot. I'd say pretty much every major big agency I've seen, in terms of the bosses and the people making decisions, I'd say probably 15 to 20% of them are just useless yeah. idiots who are just aggressive. Yeah. And everybody says, How did that person get that job? And you never know. And then you realize it's just because they just shouted louder or something. Yeah. So if if you're somebody who doesn't like that sort of thing, if you're somebody who cares about design, and if you're somebody who wants to find a specialism in a particular area of design or particular industry, for example, you know, luxury, for example, or automotive or something like that, um, then you're much better off going contract and trying to work at those places, like approach them yourself. Go and talk to them if you can. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to accept the fact that you're not really ever part of somebody's sort of family or structure. And you're not really connected to that DNA of that organisation in the same way that the permanent person is. Yeah, very true. But for, you know, 70% of your career, you'll probably earn twice as much as them.
0: Yeah, so, you got to know what you're doing uh, it for, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm not talking about, about that from a greed point of view. I'm talking about that from a choices point of view. Yeah. So, yeah. more or less, if you're a half baked freelancer, you can earn much money in seven months as a permanent person does all year. So, think of it that way. If you do get fed up of somewhere, you've, you, you honestly do have like a couple of months. Sort of as a pass before you can start worrying about the fact that you haven't got more work or whatever,
0: yeah, and the yeah. good thing yeah. that, Go that's a hard
1: time all the time,
0: yeah, and I was going to say the 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 good thing about the the contract is that it's all it's it's always immediate, you know you never you know like if you get on for a three month contract, you usually start straight away, so you could start timesheets going quickly, so your ability to run your run your revenue back up again for, is is far quicker than if you're on sort of p a y PAYE schemes and stuff like that. We can digress and talk about contract management for ages, but uh, but I know that y- you could easily have three or four months off, and then when you go back in, it's it's e- it, you know it's far quicker to make the money um, based on how businesses are run than it is if you're PAYE. Um, yeah, look, I think yeah, I think the main thing is just just my just final little point on that because I know
1: we have probably waffling on a bit. Is it's very easy when you've had a few contracts under your belt and things to sort of. Look at people who are in senior positions in a sort of envious manner. Um, I was just trying to think there's a line from um, War of the Worlds about Mars looking at Earth with envious eyes, but I can remember it. But yeah. you, um, it's very easy to to do a job for a couple of years as a permanent, then to go off and do loads of con- contracts, then to kind of s- come across somebody that you used to know or look back at an agency that you used to be at and see that they're advertising for a creative director or something like that. And you think, oh, God, that would be great. I I could have done that if I'd stayed there. Yeah. So you have to have the fortitude as a person to look beyond your own ego to a degree and be comfortable with the fact that you are footloose and fancy-free to a degree and that you, 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 you're just happy, you're happy with that. If you think that's a worry and you want to be part of a, a big family and, and you want the, the so-called security of a proper job and things, then um, you should do that. In, in, in all, you know, Overall, analysing your life as a whole, you'll probably be happier. You know, just because you've got a, a four-year-old Audi instead of a brand-new Tesla, does it really make that much difference in terms yeah. of your overall life.
0: Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. And I have that conversation with candidates all the time. And look, I mean I think for me I'd like to, to finish on a couple of points and I think these would be very valuable to to our listeners and to anybody else who 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 I know is in the industry. First one would be what's been your biggest learn over your career? Um, because I know that you've got a, a lot of pearls of wisdom. And then the other one would be what would be your sort of number one recommendation for junior UX/UI candidates looking to get into the industry? But first, the 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 the, the biggest learning of your career—that would be really interesting. I know that the listeners would find that valuable. Don't be afraid to walk away.
1: I've Very been on—I've been in a number of jobs, um, you know, for example, one with the alcoholic um, cokehead, and the number of times i wanted to walk away from that and didn't and i gave myself excuses for not like oh if i leave now then i'll lose x hundred quid and yeah well, what about blah, blah and i'm in the middle of doing blah you know solve that your time is more precious and you and what i mean by that is you've always got a choice you yes. know even if your choices are staying in this job you hate or have no money for a while i'd say in terms of your overall sanity and your overall quality of life having no money for a while probably sounds much better yeah, very true. And the other thing I would say for um for people trying to get into it in general, um, I my first job was in the BBC, and, and that was it was the first job I got. was something like um, uh, twelve hundred applicants for that particular job. So don't just answer adverts. Don't be reactive. Don't try and make out like you, you are some sort of jack of all trades or whatever. You know, and give give people generic information. Try and be um, pr- proactive. And pragmatic. So, for example, if you're going for a job with an agency, if you can, have a look at their website, see what sort of work they do. If you can get in, say something about the work they do and why you liked it have some sort of idea that they might like about something so don't don't think that the world is going to come to you don't think you've got some sort of privilege do ux on the business of getting into ux what i mean by that is think about what the customer wants and try and give them what they want don't just say here i am you know be grateful for me try and think about what that client actually wants have a couple of ideas even if it's something as basic as saying oh i looked at your website mr agency and here's three things i think you could do better just be interested and be proactive make your cv rise from the pile of sludge by
0: making yourself relevant to the person reading it. yeah interesting very good Look, I'm going to let you get back to your, to your day. I know that you've, uh, I'm sure you've got lots of other things you need to be doing. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I found that very valuable. And we should probably have a, a second conversation or another show about the music business and share some stories from the late 90s. Oh, because yeah. I, I have no doubt there'll be some good ones in there.
1: <laughs> I'll probably get libelled for some of the things. <laughs> anyway, great. Look, thanks, thanks for inviting me.
0: I hope it is of some use. Um, good luck with all your future episodes. Yeah, good man. I appreciate it. And um I'll obviously we'll catch up soon. Cool. Good man. Okay. Thanks, Simon. Talk to soon. Cheers.